from the well-composted studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another weird and wacky episode of Chemical Free Horticultural Hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Ever wonder what eager composters do when they don't got traditional fall leaves to work with? On today's show, we'll help a listener from Australia deal with this surprisingly common problem. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. Yes, potential guests are busy begging for corn stalks. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and resolutely remorseful recitations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's coming up faster than you going to work on a hole in the ground. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, you don't want to miss it. We have a question from Australia about composting eucalyptus leaves in which you may learn something about your own garden. And if you don't, it's not my fault. But before that, lots of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Adam, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hey, Adam. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? I am, let me see, new studio, I have to reach over, and you know what, come in close, guys. Let's give Ducky a close-up. It's been a long time. Ducky is now wearing his mask again, wondering if he should get the third shot. Who knows anymore? Now, Adam, your phone sounds great, but I hear a weird noise in the background. That's my son. What's he his likes to make noise when I'm on the phone. Good. What's his name? Jacob. Jacob. Okay. How, he heard his name. How old is Jacob? Yep. He's five. Okay. Do you want to put him on for a minute before we toss him out? Sure. Jake, you want to talk on the phone? Yeah. What is his name? Mike. Hi, Mike. Hey, Jacob. How's it going? Good. Do you like gardening at all? Yeah. Yeah? Do you help your dad? Yeah. How much damage? No power away. I think that was in a foreign language. How 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 much damage do you cause, Jake? So on the damage, uh, he didn't pick a, a bunch of green tomatoes this year, but he decided that the melons were done when they were the size of my fist. Well, actually, I grew um, a personal sized watermelon from Renee Shepherd this year, and really, they were no. They were no larger than my Magic 8-Ball, which refuses to answer any questions anymore. But that's, that's how big they were supposed to get. So next year, one of the most important things we can do with our children is deceive them. So <laughs> get these little mini, mini watermelons, and when he harvests them, there's a fair chance they might be ripe. <laughs> okay. Oh, where are you? I'm in Glendorf, Ohio. Gandalf? Glandorf. Oh, good. I thought Gandalf lived in uh, Middle Earth, you know. 
So where mm -hmm. is that? I've, I've not heard of that, and I've spent a lot of time in Ohio. So we are due east of Fort Wayne, Indiana, and due south of uh, Toledo Airport. So if you put a crosshair over northwest Ohio, that corner, we're right mm -hmm. in the middle. Okay, that fries my brain for the next half an hour. What what what, what can we do you for other than um, tell you to grow swarder, a swarder, a smaller watermelons next year? Well, uh, I sent you some pictures because I was kind of late to the realization that army worms were a problem this year. Oh, it yeah. was you know like the last couple weeks in August, and mm -hmm. my grass was finally turning brown. I thought, wow. Uh, so, and I worked the weekend, and my wife told me Sunday afternoon, uh, the grass isn't dormant. We have army worms. Yeah. And did she see them marching? She said she saw a couple. Oh, no, but no. I guess it was. I, they may move by night. I kind of forget. But it is a sight to see. The ground moves. These are creatures that move with an army. Huh. I guess that's where they got army worms. How long have you lived in this home? Uh, Ten years. And you've never seen army worms before? Nope. Okay. So this may be once in your lifetime. But this is a good time to point out that these creatures, like army ants, do exist. They move in large numbers. And because they are caterpillars and not worms of any kind, they consume vast amounts of vegetation. Now... For next year, I would urge you to stay in touch with your county extension service as we got to this time of year again and ask if they had any idea about army worms, yes or no, in the area. And then there's a very simple solution. Uh, get in front of them, so to speak, before they advance onto your property and spray the ground with the old original form of BT. Bacillus thuringiensis, sold under the brand names of Dipel, Thoracide, and One Step. Um, this is harmless to everything else in your environment. It won't hurt birds, your kid, you, your pets, uh, frogs, toads, wombats, won't hurt anything else. But when a caterpillar, which again, anything pretty much with the name worm attached to it is a caterpillar, when they eat foliage that has been sprayed with BT, um, they die. Cool. Now you make me real. Uh, now you make me realize I don't know what kind of moth they turn into. I got to look that up. Yeah, I uh, went through six gallons of BT after I realized that we had the problem, but I figured you know the whole grass, the whole backyard was already brown. But the front right. yard hadn't been touched yet, so and I'm hoping I did some good there. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, they're looking for fresh food. Um, so my question is... I thought that was your uh, question. <laughs> um, my question is, now that the most of the yard looks dead, mm -hmm. is there any chance, uh, since they don't eat the root system, that that grass will come back? Or am I looking at just reseeding everything? No, no, no. Um, what kind of grass? Uh there's bluegrass in it. That's okay. I'll tell you for sure. Um, if there's bluegrass in the mix, it'll come back naturally. Okay. Because those rhizomes will recover and spread. You got any compost? I do. 
spread some compost on the brown areas uh, because bluegrass will continue to grow for another month or so. And this will give it, and this is also the time of year um, when if you feed a lawn, it's when you should feed a lawn. So you got everything going for you. I just wish the kid had been able to see this crawling army of worms advancing on the house. Yeah. There's an issue all over town. Everybody got up one day and, you know, the, the lawn was gone. Okay. Now, in the back of my head, um, remembering Dr. Nick Christians, um, who was our lawn care expert for many, many years. We've fallen out of touch, but Nick taught me everything I know about lawns. Uh, they are a climactic. Is that right? That seems like the end of a show. They're climate related. If there is a big storm down south at the right time and the moths are blown into your area, army worms will take over. But without that storm, they can't reach you. Gotcha. All right, man? All right. Well, I appreciate the help. All right. My pleasure. Good luck to you, sir. Thank you. Number to call, 888-492-9444. Dan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thank you. How are you today? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. Ducky always likes to get into the show. Uh, how are you, Dan? Um, I'm, I'm good. I'm here in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and um, listening to your show whenever I can and hoping I can get uh, a question answered. Up in potato growing town now, are you? That's correct. Yeah. All right. What can I do you for? Well, I had actually called in earlier this spring and had uh, some questions about what to do with seed starts, and I tried to double dip and ask you a question about <laughs> biosolids, and we didn't have time to talk about it, so I'm calling back to get the lowdown on biosolids, whether that's safe for use anywhere in my garden, um, and, and that's what I need to know about. I, I, biosolids. I somewhat got duped. Oh, yeah. God. How much did you get? Uh, about about a yard. Okay. I've got a, a pickup truck, and I, and I got, got a one full load because they're giving away for free. And yeah, I, I'll bet they are. And I went back are. and got another load. They should pay you yeah. to take it. Uh, biosolids are either dried or composted human waste. Um, it's like the non-liquid stuff in a septic tank. Uh, the original, quote, biosolid is milorganite which uh, was processed from the sewers of um, Milwaukee. And uh, they couldn't use it back then because it was found to contain every heavy metal and toxic chemical known to man. So they actually installed traps in the industrial section and caught like 100 polluters, which leaves the human waste component. Now, back in China for like, over 4,000 years, I don't know why I said back in China, in China for over 4,000 years, they've used what they term night soil. It's all these great euphemisms for poop. Um, mm -hmm. And the interesting thing was, well, they weren't taking any medications. They weren't 
um, overdosed with psychiatric drugs or antibiotics. So it, it fed peasants um, for, again, uh, I think the book is called Farmers of 40 Centuries, a classic book that we refer to. 40 Centuries. Yeah, it's, it's a classic book. We used it a lot when I was editor of Organic Gardening. So the problem with, quote, biosolids today are not so much pollutants, although there's probably a lot of these little um, nanobite plastic particles in there because they can't get them out of the water. Uh, but the drugs are persistent. Uh, the antibiotics, the antidepressants, uh, these things persist. Wow. No water treatment plant that I know of can filter them out. And that's why they're giving it away. It's a waste disposal problem. And I have yet to see a waste disposal problem where they didn't turn to people's garden. Hey, old railroad ties for free. And we'll throw in all the right. creosote you can eat. So uh, yep. have you spread it? What did you do with it? Well, I kept it far away from my raised vegetable beds. Good. And I, um, you did mention, you know, you in an email response to me, you asked, you know, whether I had a well. So it's basically on the opposite side of my property, far away from where a well is on a neighboring property. And I, I spread it out over, you know, a, an area of lawn that oh, um, okay. is growing grass. And so probably the you know, best thing you could have done. That's what I did with it. Yeah. Best okay. thing you could have done. Uh, but just don't get any more. Get real yes. compost, <laughs> yard waste compost. All right. That. That that sounds like a good plan. Um, now, per, my producer, I, right thing. I was, I was yeah, my about it. My producer tells me you have a second question. We got to do it quick. Yeah, yeah. So we're approaching the end of the season here, and I've had a bumper crop of tomatoes. Say that five times real advice. fast, Dan. Yeah, I'll try later. <laughs> um, what what is this I hear about pitching off the flowers? Um, oh yeah, yeah. And, Absolutely. Okay. That Pitch was the question. Off. And whether whether there was like full stalks, you know, or, or full branches with flowers, is it appropriate to just snip off an entire branch or no, stick to just pinching off the flowers? You're in freaking Idaho. I would pull the plants out of the ground, hang them upside down from the ceiling of a garage or a basement or something like that. Let the fruits on them ripen. But yes, at this time of year, you must pinch the new flowers off of plants like tomatoes and peppers because they're not going to develop okay. into fruits and they are sapping energy. Okay. All right. That All right, was, man. That was my second question. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate that. All right. You take care now. You too, Mike. Bye. Bye-bye. down there and she'd go out in the evenings and pick her a mess of it cat home and cook it for supper and if she had any leftovers she'd dry it out and smoke it but she did all right Everybody say 
for me to take a little break and explain that my incoming email was down around the end of September. And just because I had 37,000 unread messages, picky, 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 it's all better now. So if you got a weird bounce back message, please resend your original message. But don't go hunting and packing just yet because we'll be right back with a leafless dilemma and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you are listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. WLVR Bethlehem, a broadcast service of Lehigh University. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, the center of the universe. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up a little bit later in the show, what would you do if you were an avid composter, but all that you had to compost were eucalyptus leaves? We'll answer a listener's question from Australia that asks that same question. Got to have a question before you can have an... All right, let's get back to the phone calls. 888-492-9444. Christine, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you? I am just ducky. Thanks. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> well, ducky... Uh, we're thinking of putting Ducky's name on the show. So, you know, with Mike McGrath oh. and Ducky, you know, there you go. like Batman <laughs> and Robin. Uh, all right, hey. Christine, thank you for asking. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. And where is Christine great? Oh, uh, we, we live in Winslow Township in uh, Camden County, like on the edge of Berlin and Winslow Township. In New Jersey. In New Jersey. What exit? I don't know. Oh. I don't know that. Okay. I'm not the driver. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What can we do for Christine? Um, my question for you is uh, we have kind of a a large piece of ground, and this sort of gets overrun with weeds and vines and everything. But what we have is a, a, um, a whole area of milkweed that comes up on its own. A few years ago, it was just a few here and there, mm -hmm. but this year, it's just overrun our yard. It's in the walkways, it's in between all the, the flowering bushes, mm -hmm. and it's so tall, it just falls on everything. And my question to you is, you know, we do have monarch butterflies, 
and uh, along with other butterflies. Mm -hmm. And I really, you know, I'm so tempted to cut it down because now it's all brown and, you know, all the pods are booping up. But I need information, and I try to find it about the monarch butterfly cycle, you know, during the season. Right. And, you know, I only saw one little caterpillar on there. Good. Um, but I have seen butterflies. Mm-hmm. I've tried to look up what the egg sac looks like. I haven't seen any, oh, but I don't know if that would appear on the milkweed or not. It's very distinctive. It's lime yeah. green. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the shape would be. I guess you'd call it an oval or something like that. Um, but the color itself is very distinctive. Is and it on the it, milkweed plant or anywhere? Well, the milkweed plant supplies food for the caterpillars. Okay. Then they spin uh, their chrysalis. And after a time in the chrysalis, the adult monarchs emerge. Uh, They spend a couple of hours drying their wings in the sun, and then Mm -hmm. they begin their journey back down to Mexico, stopping at food plants like tithonia um, on the way. Now, you'll learn more than you ever wanted to by going to a website called Monarch Watch. Uh-huh. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Ron Ryle, I visited his place in Pottstown, PA recently, and I got to tag butterflies that were uh, about yeah. to fly back down to Mexico. It was very mm-hmm. fun. And as to, I'm not a specialist in milkweed, to be honest. But it sounds like you have um, the perennial type. So if it's brown, cut it down. Well, I wanted to because it's really awful looking. But I didn't know when things happen with the cycle. We're familiar with the cycle, you know, when you see, you know, you look it up and you see the the diagram of it. But we didn't Mm -hmm. know what times of the season things happen. And... um, you know, when was it okay to cut it down without hurting anything? Because, I mean, is there... They're, is not there laying, a, they're not laying eggs anymore. They are okay. beginning their multi-thousand-mile journey, 80 miles a day, down to Mexico. And the adults will overwinter there, and then they'll come back up, and they'll lay their eggs on your milkweed plants, which will have regrown at that right. point, but be a little bit more under control. Now, if you say you, I, if you say you have seed pods, I would save those. Make sure they're. Yeah, well, make we sure, have in the past, but they seem to multiply well without our help. <laughs> but you know, they are seed pods, and but you know, so right now there's nothing going on with the milkweed plant in regards to the the, the monarch. There's no. nothing. On there, cutting them down won't disturb anything. Nope. Okay, and where are the where are the um, where are the uh, eggs? Are they on the milkweed plant? Or are there any? Not there now. Any they're not. No, in the spring. In the spring, uh-huh. I believe in May, the migration begins again in reverse. The adults come back and they mate and they lay the eggs. Monarch Watch will show you. Will you know, show you exactly what the eggs look like. Okay. The eggs will hatch. The caterpillars will eat the milkweed. Then they'll spin this very distinctive-looking 
chrysalis, um, lime green on a little thread that looks so delicate, but Ron was showing me how he, he has them in a, a kind of a lucite container and banging the top could not dislodge any of the chrysalises. They're very tough, uh, they're very tough butterflies. That's why we can tag them. If we did the tagging procedure on a swallowtail, it, it, the wings would just come apart. But monarchs have an incredibly strong, almost skeletal leaf structure, which is why they can fly thousands and thousands of miles. Right. Where is a chrysalis? If there's, there's, you're saying there's chrysalis now, they've been already been creative and they're somewhere? Uh, if there's any chrysalises now, those, those butterflies are coming very close to not making it uh, back down to Mexico. But okay. if you see a chrysalis, just leave that plant alone, cut it down later in winter. Um, the migration, every, everything is changing. They are flying south much later. Uh, I think Ron specified he sees them in October now. Right. But, um, yeah, if you see a chrysalis, leave it alone or, you know, hang it in a tree. If you can let that plant go, that's fine. But just by having all that milkweed around, you're a part of the process. Right. But it's a chrysalis, and I'm just trying to uh, just get it clear. The chrysalis would be on the milkweed plant? Yes. Or could it be, okay, it wouldn't be on some other plant? It would be just on the um, milkweed? Well, see, the caterpillar would have okay. to be able to get to that plant easily. Okay. Uh-huh. You know, the caterpillar is on the milkweed when it decides, ooh, ooh, I feel funny, and builds a chrysalis around itself. So I would say you're almost always going to find them hanging, um, and they do hang on a string from the milkweed itself. And how long does a chrysalis hang before? It's like, is that an overwinter thing? No, 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 no. Yeah. Again, um, the, the butterflies must spend the winter in a warm spot like Mexico. Right. And right. then they fly back in the spring, lay mate and lay their eggs. So, you know, I'm not exactly certain how long it takes the eggs to hatch into caterpillars and then, but uh, the chrysalises are found, I, I'm going to guess, in the summer. But then they have okay. to split open, the butterfly has to come out and dry right. its wings and head south. Is there any caterpillars now? No, they would they would not survive. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So I can go cut these things down. <laughs> yes. And I'm and I'm thinking maybe I should like put them in a pile in case there's something hanging on there. I'm not. That's excellent. I, That's yeah. excellent. Let's and go to go to monarchwatch.org, uh -huh. and okay. they'll lay out the timeline for you. Perfect. I really appreciate that, Mike. My You're pleasure. You're the man to talk to because I don't know where else to, who else would know. You know, um, I got, went on, online. I just couldn't find the right site. So I really appreciate your help. I contain the summit of all knowledge. <laughs> and it's not That's helpful true. in my life. <laughs> all right, That's Christine. True. Take care.
Don't forget that number to call, 888-492-9444. Scratch it into your wallboard. Nobody else will care. Diane, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Diane. How are you? Very well, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Whoa, just a stone's throw from our studios here in beautiful Bethlehem. That's, of course, if you've got a darn good arm. Absolutely. Anyway, what can we do for Diane in um, Allentown? Very good. I was a girl that grew up on Long Island, and I've been in Pennsylvania for 20 years. Mm -hmm. But um, every fall, I'm a fall baby, so I want to buy mums. My mom always did her own gardening. I always remember mums coming up over and over every year. What's going on? Some lady told me, oh, you have to buy hardy mums to get the perennial ones. Okay. I don't know what's happening. No, no, that's a, that's a good question. We have not addressed it in recent yeah. years. Um, okay. There are mums called florist mums. And they tend to be, like, rather gaudy. Uh, the mums that are sold that are all perfectly sculpted and, to me, mm-hmm. look like Esther Williams' old bathing cap. Um, right. They have been just grown by the millions. And believe it or not, the mums need to be pinched. Even in this day and age, there's nothing that can uh, compete with human fingers pinching off right. different parts of the plants to make that, to me, absurd shape. But they're also grown to be one season wonders. Um, you may oh. you may seek out. Uh, where are you in Allentown? Are you in the city? Are you in the burbs? Where are you? Uh, we're we're over by Dorney Park. Oh, okay, yeah, Dorneyville. Yep. I yep. I love it. Um, so. You know, I think all mums should be hardy, but they're not really bred to be that way. So, uh, you know, most people buy them and toss them, really. A lot of people don't plant them in the ground even. You know, they just, right. you know, put them in pots and display them outside till they can't stand it anymore. Then they compost them. So, uh, you know, I would, if you really wanted to do it, it's a lot of work uh, because... Uh, are your mums really truly dead in the springtime? Um, do yeah. They, do they start? They're dead in the fall. <laughs> they they just don't last. Now that's unusual. Um, are you watering them during dry times? Yeah, yeah. Are and they... I'm very careful to not buy ones that are in full bloom. You know that they still right. have the buds unopened, and you know, figuring they'll last longer. Absolutely, that's a that's a good rule of thumb. Are they planted in containers or the ground? It was both. Okay, uh, just trying everything. Well, the containers uh, would be the first to suffer frost damage because their right. their roots are above the frost line. Uh, the ones in the ground are not faring any better. No, not at all. Uh, maybe it's something I did wrong, or is it just over are you, the years, it's are you, changed. Are you feeding them? Yeah. Yes? No? What? Yes, yes, yes. Well, that could be part of the problem. You know, they're overfed when they come to you. Oh, okay. What are you feeding them with? Um, just a standard. Uh, there's no such thing. Special. No, yeah. there's there's no such thing. I, 
I don't know. Enlighten me. You're the garden guru. Are you using a chemical fertilizer like Osmocote or Miracle Gag? Yes. Yes, yes I did. Okay, you're killing them. Ding, ding, killing ding. Them. Oh, boy. All right. You have no idea. I mean, these things are on steroids when they come to you. Um, uh-huh. They would just like a little water during dry times and not to have more chemical salts pumped into their uh, bodies. That mm-hmm. stuff is garbage. You really need yeah. to take it to a hazardous waste disposal facility. And, you know, if you, if you want to feed your plants, buy organic fertilizer. Don't right, don't right. go to Home Despot or one of the other big box stores. Go to your local independent garden center. Uh, they'll have a great okay. supply of organic fertilizers. But really, if you're going to fertilize a mum, you would do it in the spring mm-hmm. to enhance the new growth. So I think that's it. Um, you know, would I have to cut it back uh, in the fall or just let it be? Well, it looks like hell if you don't. Um, but it also leads to early death because then the plant doesn't have any biomass. And this winter in Pennsylvania is supposed to be really harsh. So that's another problem. People don't want to see their dead mums or dormant mums outside, so they cut them back, and that finishes them off. If you want to cut them back, the time to do so is when you see new growth in the spring. All right. I mean, I've always heard they're forced. I mean, every year they're coming out earlier and earlier. Yep. They used to come the end of October and whatever. Yeah, but so, they got to get ready for Christmas now. So it's they got to make room for all the giant inflatable Rudolphs with the blinking red nose so airplanes don't hit it. So they really want to get this stuff out there and get rid of it because there's no carryover on this stuff. Get ready for the poinsettias that die too. Oh, well, poinsettias... Poinsettias are tropical plants. They can't be left outdoors. Right. Well, I see so many people do, but uh, we have so much to learn. That's why we watch your lovely program. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, you're in our TV uh, realm here. And um, I'm going to take this opportunity to remind everybody, whether they're listening on the radio, the podcast, watching us on TV, um, the shows can be very different any given Saturday. Uh, the material on TV may be almost completely different than what you get on the podcast or on the right. radio. And you can pick up our radio signal, too. Um, okay. Yeah, so, you know, check it out. And um, whether you listen or watch, we certainly appreciate uh, the eyeballs or earballs or whatever. I don't know anymore. Well, Mr. Mike McGrath, I appreciate you as well. All right. Thank you for being out there for us. My pleasure. All right. You be well. You take care. Bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everyone to bring in their frost-sensitive plants before nighttime temps dip into the 40s. But don't go helping me drag in my birds of paradise just yet, because we'll be right back with a question from Australia and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA which will be the Christmas city in a while, but right now I guess it's the Halloween's. No, no, it's not right. That's Rutland, Vermont. Anyway, that's where we are, and we are in the stretch, cats and kittens. Just a little bit, we'll get to one of the most interesting questions of the week, which came from Australia. Won't that be special? But before that, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Jeff. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. How are you today? I'm just Ducky, Jeff. Thank you for asking. <laughs> oh, no, Ducky's mask fell off. Watch it. We're in the surge. <laughs> All right. Uh, where's Jeff? Uh, I am in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh, excellent. Are you an intellectual? Yeah. Yeah? Uh, I like to think so, but I'm, I'm not part of the uh, the colleges town. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it's great to be around them, though. Oh, yeah. That's a beautiful area. What can we do you for? Definitely. Yeah. So I have um, a houseplant that is getting a little bit out of hand that I could use some advice with. Um, I believe it's a Dracinia marginata, um, which has at this point made it all the way to the ceiling. And like myself, uh, it doesn't quite know what to do right now. This is a problem um, with a lot of houseplants that don't die. I mean, if they were polite, they would just die on you before they got too big for the house. But no, right. they have to keep growing and be healthy. So you got two choices here. One of, of which I always endorse is, is there a kind of a public building, a library? I know you got a million college buildings around you. Is there some place with a high ceiling uh, with some light, as you know, they don't need direct sun, it's indirect. And um, where it could be put on display and somebody would, uh, if it's a Dracaena, they would only have to water it uh, like once a month, maybe less in the winter. So that's your first option, other than tear out your, your second floor uh, ceiling, <laughs> you know, which would make yeah, a dramatic option. Yeah. When, oh my goodness, back in the 70s, uh, myself and my college uh, mates who were in the student senate were guests on the Dick Cavett show. And we went out to dinner at this place called La Rays. And the semi-indoor-outdoor dining room had a live tree growing right through the top of the roof. And it was just amazing. So. Yeah. You know, I, I think you should remodel your house for this plant. I mean, you're being so selfish. The I agree. If I wasn't a renter, I would definitely do that. I think uh, my landlord might be a little upset if I you tell, know, start sawing a hole in the floor. Yeah, tell, <laughs> tell the landlord it was termites. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, you're, uh, if, you, if you choose not to try to get it into a public space where it can be admired before it gets a crooked neck, there is a technique called air layering. And I'll let you look this air layering. Air layering. Um, I haven't done this for a while, but if I remember correctly, you uh, scrape some bark 
off of the trunk. And then what do you wrap around it? I forget, not a wet paper towel. Oh, sphagnum peat moss, not the milled peat moss. Okay. Uh, you wrap okay. that around it um, and you keep that moist, but also you need something to keep it in place. So mm, right. if you do this correctly, um, the top of the plant will die off because you took off all the bark, but new growth will begin to appear under your wound, so to speak. And when you see enough uh, growth coming out of that, you take the material off and then you can prune back the, uh, the top part of the plant and it'll regrow, you know, it'll give you more time. Interesting. So is it going to be new green growth coming out or roots I should look for? Well, it wouldn't be roots, no. Um, mm. It should be green growth. But again, it's been a long time since I discussed air layering. And it's not, sure. for, the, it's not for the weak of heart because you could kill the plant. But mm. I, I would simply suggest you look it up, but limit your search to state extension websites and not okay. like some bum down the street who thinks he knows everything like me. <laughs> sure. But I yeah. mean, I, uh, I really good. encourage people to find uh, some place that has high ceilings and see if they'll accept it. Yeah, I I have a great library close by with, I think, 20 foot tall windows that they just built recently. That uh, might be a great spot for it. I think that's My, fabulous. The only idea. thing, the thing holding me back is that this is a, uh, an offshoot from... Uh, a plant my parents got when they got married 39 years ago now. Okay. So I hate to get rid of it. Well, but, you, uh, you don't, I might try and selfishly keep it for myself. Yeah, you don't have to get rid of it, but you would be kind of stuck with it until the spring. And then you mm -hmm. would take cuttings um, and try and root those. So it would, be the, it would be a clone of the original. Okay. But you need somebody who knows how to do this to hold your hand. Um, sure. You know, just there should be in, in that area, a horticulture school or something like that, a college greenhouse, they'll know how to air layer and they'll know how to take cuttings in the spring. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll poke around and see who I can find that, you know, one of the schools here. Cause there's, there's definitely a, a couple of them. At least. Yeah. But you got a bunch yeah. of options. Definitely. All right. Definitely. Great. Thank you so much. Oh, really thank you. That. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. You too. Have a great day. All right, it's inevitable. It also always happens. It is time for the question of the week, which we're calling composting down under. Ruth in Australia writes, Good day, Mike. I'm writing from the leafy suburbs of Sydney, and my question is whether the leaves of gum trees, a.k.a. eucalyptus trees, might respond well to being composted in the same way as your leaves from North American trees. As you may already know, gum trees store oil in their leaves. Concentrated eucalyptus oil is a powerful antibacterial and antifungal chemical. It's up there with raw garlic and can kill off fungus like athlete's foot overnight. Why am I just finding about this now? Eucalyptus trees also emit allopathic chemicals into the nearby soil. These naturally occurring chemicals create an unpleasant situation for other plants, which either can't start life or fail to thrive if they're planted too close to a, quote, gum tree. 
Would these yucky chemicals be in the leaves too? I'm going to interrupt her question here uh, to answer directly. Unfortunately, as with our North American black walnut trees, the answer is yes. Ruth proceeds to explain that her gum trees shed a lot of leaves all year round and asks, can we gardeners create a coffee-laced gum tree mulch or use shredded gum leaves as part of our ingredients in a hot composting system? If so, what about all those naturally occurring oils and chemicals? Will gum leaves play nicely and move smoothly from being leaves to becoming compost or mulch? Or will eucalyptus leaves remain stubbornly in their original form, even if physically shredded? And will adding gum leaves to compost damage the compost-rich community of bacteria and fungal colonies? Sorry to hit you with such a tough question. Thanks again, and please continue all your good work. Love your podcast. So many excellent practical ideas. And she signs off that part with be of good heart, my friend. Well, thank you, Ruth. All right. She sent us some pictures. Here's the first one. And I quote Ruth. She ignored a pile of leaves behind a shed for six months or so. I have sieved it. Sieved it? I don't know. Separating out any soil that's been created. The result is not bad at all. This second photo is a picture of one of the nearby trees that Ruth hopes to harvest. She says, quote, this species can grow to about 100 feet tall. That's 30 meters down there. And she adds, there are about 1,000 species of eucalyptus, all of which generously shed leaves all year round. That's not on the shed, that's shedding their leaves. Here's another picture. Ruth writes, one of my hot composts built around a central steam chimney of PVC pipe with holes drilled in it. That's one of my old ideas. Temperatures easily hit 140 degrees Fahrenheit for weeks. I even have to cool it down sometimes. The ingredients are shredded garden prunings, vegan food leftovers, coffee grounds, shredded paper, shredded branches, deciduous leaves, the soil that I capture from under a wood chip pile after six months of decomposition, and water, which is crucial. Ruth adds a PS. I also asked one of the botanic gardens in Australia for their opinion. Here's a short version of their response. Ruth asked them, can eucalyptus leaves be composted in a hot composting system? The response? Our advice would be not to do this. It is likely to have a negative effect on the bacteria in the compost system, as eucalyptus oils have antibacterial properties and may slow the growth or kill off many species of helpful bacteria. And the resulting compost may have negative effects on any plants you spread it around. Then Ruth asked them, can they be composted alone in a leaf cage? The response, composting eucalyptus leaves in a leaf cage will take an extremely long time as the leaves have a thick waxy cuticle. You could decrease the breakdown time by mulching the leaves, but they will not behave the same way 
as leaves from deciduous trees to make leaf mold. They continue, we think that the riskiest use of eucalyptus-based mulch or compost would be around vegetables versus the safest being around native Australian plants, particularly around species naturally found in ecosystems shared with eucalyptus. And those responses, which are great, come to us from the Australian National Botanic Gardens in Canberra. Well, Ruth, as you worried about in your emails, I knew almost nothing about using eucalyptus tree leaves in a traditional composting system. But I went deeply down the rabbit hole of research because I did know that many gardeners in locations with extended dry times like yours are desperate for dry brown ingredients with which to make compost. So first, I will digress a bit. When the late and great Bob Rodale and I wrote a book about famine prevention called Save Three Lives for the Sierra Club back in the late 80s, one of the things we recommended for dry climates was to make compost below ground in a pit to conserve moisture, a technique that I believe may have originated in Australia. So you would excavate the desired area, line the bottom with a sturdy tarp with just a few holes punched in the bottom to handle your rainy season excess, which occurs December through March, and do your best to fill it with the right mix of dry brown and wet green materials minus eucalyptus leaves. Don't use shredded paper. It contains zero nutrition. Heavily shredded wood chips would be fine as would things like shredded straw, cattails, and dry brown corn stalks, which may be in abundance this time of year. No kitchen waste other than spent coffee grounds and tea bags. Dispose of your other kitchen waste in a worm bin and use the nutrient-rich worm castings on your veggies. As you note, keep that pit watered during dry times. Otherwise, I agree with the Botanic Garden. Segregate your eucalyptus leaves in their own pile. Shred it as many times as you can stand. No matter their age, they are still technically, quote, green material. So add only shredded woody material. And as your National Botanic Garden suggests, use any resulting compost only on native plants. Well, that sure was some good information and an intriguing look at gardening down under. Now, wasn't it? Luckily, you can read this article over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be. Get some T-shirts, sweatshirts made up, cats and kittens. YouBetYourGarden.org for organic. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you'll always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes! My producer is threatening to mess with my maple leaves if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please.
please always include your location. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to hundreds of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows and old shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast I, at our website. Remember, it's YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when a bully kicked sand in his face at the beach, and he looked at the back of a comic book and signed up for the Charles Atlas program. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is sports mad, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and read all about the latest horticultural controversies at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Teresa Radke. Our audio editor is the always lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director of direction is Javier Diaz. Our usual gang of idiots often includes the esteemed Eric Werner, Zach the Tack with Nesky, Jazzy Jake Morris, and Jumpin' Jeff Frederick. Our beloved CEO Tim Fallon insists there is no truth to the rumor that he was seen eating a heart attack hoagie at the Hellertown Hotel. I'm your host, maniacal Mike McGrath, and I'll be outside shredding my precious leaves, yelling at evil squirrels, and soaking up the wonderful weather of autumn, at least until I see you again next week. WLVR, along with our sister station, PBS 39, serves the Lehigh Valley through public media. Great programs live on PBS 39. From Sesame Street to Downton Abbey, PBS 39 keeps you educated and entertained. And your all-day, everyday NPR station, WLVR, keeps you up-to-date and informed with global, national, and local news coverage. WLVR and PBS 39, informing, educating, and entertaining the Lehigh Valley. Put down those pruners. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we'll explain why the oh-so-tempting weather of fall is the worst time to prune your plants. Plus your fall and phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden. Bye.